0: Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today, I'm excited to talk to Thomas Westerfield about Goes on without the world's understanding. It's a book of short stories. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: I enjoyed your stor- short, short short stories. I love that. Already, already tongue tied. I loved your <laughs> short stories. And one of the things that I find is they're they're emotionally driven and so evocative of the characters that you put in the stories. Um, Thank you. And we talked a little bit about before we recorded about how sometimes things in our own lives appear in things we write they're not necessarily autobiographical but emotions do you want to speak to that a little bit
1: yes thank you very much uh, yeah i think this it's it's very easy of course in stories we sometimes not all the time but we sometimes use some part of our lives or some parts of other people's lives, Um, but I think we fall into a trap of only valuing those stories which are autobiographical or based on real life, because um, imagination, empathy are the keys to not just fiction, but I think to life, Mm -hmm. Um, but by stories, I think even if they're have some beginning basis in reality, or my life, someone's life, they don't work. Stories, at least my stories, never work until the characters, I see them, I hear them. They are people outside of me who surprise me. So that even though I might have a sense of where the story is going, mm-hmm. um, or nowhere I know where I want it to end, so they will sometimes say or do things that totally surprise me as I'm writing it. All of a sudden, they're doing this and saying something that I just was totally unprepared for. But I think in, in all honesty, those stories, all my stories are emotionally and spiritually mm-hmm. autobiographical for sure. <laughs> I'm revealing a lot more of myself. Not necessarily the personal details of my life experience, but a lot of the details of how I... Feel and navigate the world
0: and what my heart uh, takes in of the world. I, you know, I agree. At least that's what I get from reading your short stories. You know, what I find is your characters may have some similarities and may have some really, really wide differences. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see that. But what ties each of your characters is there's a big emotion in what's going on with that character. Uh I'm going to start with the shortest one of all, and that's Ideal Lover. And (laughs) give us a little setup about Ideal Lover, and then let's talk about how fun it is. (laughs)
1: Well, it's just uh, what the old days. I mean, this story actually was written many years ago, uh, but I've always liked it. But in the old days, of course, you didn't have a uh, swiping on uh, grinder. You had the you had gay newspapers in the back of the newspapers or like the advocate in the back pages, you would have the personal sections. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those personals were one or two sentences, other times there would be a <laughs> paragraph or paragraphs. So I just let this story be about um, all the things, just, just this is a list. Of everything you always want in a, or what a person would want, or a, in a lover, and then uh, without giving it away, there's a last line caveat, you know, mm-hmm. just a little, a little twist right at the end about this ideal person. Well, <laughs> I do. No, I'm sorry. i been very interesting. You're one of the first people who's actually mentioned this story of all the stories that I've talked to about. People, you're the first oh. one to mention that one. What, what did you like about it?
0: So what I loved about it was I because I remember those ads in <laughs> right. newspapers and magazines. But you know, I what I when I was reading through it, it wasn't it wasn't what some ads over the years have been no fats, no femmes, no blacks. It wasn't that. It was just a long list of the things that I would like, what would make me happy. And I sort of chuckled through it because what I thought is, you know we have this idealized idea of what we really, really want. And I wonder if, if, the universe delivered on our doorstep exactly that whole long list of things how many would we grow to hate <laughs> right right or oh, yeah it, well again fantasy is
1: always better than reality uh or we're well, not always better i take that back but fantasy just is sm- smoother easier yes. than, than reality
0: yes. yeah. it is it is true you know and i think so often We think we want one thing. And in reality, I often find, and of course, here I am about to preach, I often find that I think it's the things that I internally feel like I'm lacking. So when I project on what I want, it's something really within myself that I feel like I don't have or would enhance something else. And now, in writing this, is that sort of what fueled you? Do you feel like it was something that? Is this something you would want or is this an enhancement to you?
1: It, it's partly, uh, it was both. I mean, there's sort of, again, it starts with some of my own, but then it kind of developed out into this kind of, uh, again, magical, magical person. And, and it's so funny because we, at least when I was younger, I mean, I certainly had kind of a checklist of like, oh yes, this, 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 and this. So in this one, I just wanted to take it all the way, just every aspect of every part of the physical and the emotional and the the uh their interest in culture or their interest in uh being able to do certain kinds of work uh and again it's so funny because we make up so much stuff in our heads about again what oh what's perfect love what's the perfect man (laughs) but you know um yeah as you get older i think you uh recognize that the perfect man is gonna have some imperfections and that's sure. what makes him even that much more perfect for you.
0: And that's again, that's very romantic. <laughs> you
1: know, but, but I am down down deep I am. I'm I'm gonna admit it. I'm gonna admit it.
0: Well you know what you and I both, you know, I think that's one of the things though that I, I think when you're looking at an ad like that or when I I never placed an ad. I read a whole lot of them, but I never placed an ad because, sadly, I don't think I ever really knew exactly what I wanted, and I was always afraid I'd hurt someone's feeling. The romantic in me was like, oh, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Yeah. It, the truth is, I probably just didn't know how to say what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't believe I'm going to
1: confess this. Uh, you're a very good interviewer because I remembered something of an ad I actually did place once, and I called myself the love child of Scarlett O'Hara and Gandhi. So that was my description <laughs> of myself, which is fairly <laughs> grandiose when you think about it, but you know, I was well, they, were
0: most, they were both very larger than life, whether they <laughs> wanted to be or not.
1: <laughs> right, Which uh, pretty much sums me up.
0: <laughs> okay. I love that. So now let's, so we've talked about joy a little bit. So let's talk about obituaries. Yes. And so I know that you are from Kentucky originally. Uh-huh. So before we get too much into the story, do you read the obituaries of where you're from? I
1: do. I do. And it, it was started when uh, I had you know, aunts and uncles who still lived in Kentucky. So uh, when they would die, I would look up the obituaries. And sometimes, you know, they had the online name because I couldn't always travel, of course, back to, to the funeral. Uh, but then I started seeing, oh, my God, uh, people that I'd gone to school with are their parents. Uh, so I just, the, the so I did get in the habit of looking, you know, not if not every night, but, you know, a few times a week looking at the obituaries. And, and occasionally what was fascinating to me is I did run into obituaries or see obituaries of people that I didn't really know. I remembered them from school, but we weren't necessarily close friends. But even in Kentucky, now the obituaries will la- list if, if the person had a partner or a husband or, mm-hmm. a, a you know, a same-sex spouse, uh, which I've like, really surprising. Uh, and um, probably the story is fiction, but mm. probably more of the details woven in that story um, are probably more, again, if not totally factual, they're more autobiographical. Mm-hmm.
0: If that makes sense. Wow. It it does. And one one of the things in reading this particular story that came up for me was that sometimes when I'll read an obituary, obituary about whether it's a relative or someone I went to school with, is the emotion of that particular person or maybe someone in our orbit <laughs> that would come up for me. Right. Um, I, and I will say that while I was reading your writing, this was a bit of a biography of me oh. in the fact that a couple of people that I went to school with who were particularly uh, horrible bullies yes. have passed on, yes. or I've come face to face with them later. And I'm, I was really captured by the emotion in this piece. Yes.
1: Well, this is this was is for me something I keep getting surprised by, and I'm trying to, and i I think I'm finally starting to accept because you know we've I mean not necessarily all of us, but a lot of us have gone through therapy and worked through all the issues, and you know especially at my age, it's like, oh dear God, it's it's boring me now, you know. So, <laughs> I, but it is surprising some of these true traumas, some mm-hmm. of these genuine um moments that we haven't thought about for a long time or, or revisited for a long time it's amazing how they can just suddenly just come back as if they were happening that day. And yeah. certainly I think when we see someone who has died or read of someone who's died, that certainly is is a powerful, powerful trigger. My my younger brother died got over 45 years ago. Oh wow uh and You know, sometimes it almost feels like a dream, like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, or something very long ago. But then once in a while, ever occasionally, I think of him, uh, not just in a sad way, but in just a Mm -hmm. funny story way. And we're back, or I'm back, you know, together with him. So I think that's the, we we can't, you know, it's, yes, we have to uh, move on from the past, but the past never leaves us, and it shouldn't it
0: shouldn't. Totally agree with you Thomas because I think that's how we got to where we are today. I mean whatever all that past was good, bad or indifferent is part of what got us to where we are today and how Why? we deal with life. You know, I I know that I remember seeing in an obituary at one point someone had passed away and I thought, well, <laughs> of course I had to make it all about me. I thought, well, I have I have unfinished business with you. And once I worked that through my mind, it was nice to be two or 3,000 miles away so I didn't come out of my mouth at a funeral. (laughs) But it is funny how something that has been impactful, positively or negatively, we can recall it with with such a vivid imagination and can feel that emotion right
1: right and i and again yeah i, th- I think it's important to, to honor that uh, again age and some degree of wisdom has led me to okay don't wallow in it don't stay there in it but again it's it's there and i think it's there for some particular reason which i'm not sure what is but I guess, again, it's it's embracing ourselves, embracing the totality of ourselves. And in this story, there the connection is, as the narrator reads this obituary of his bully who has died, he also gets reminded because the bully has a slight connection to the first boy. That he ever loved and so that starts him down the narrator down that road of of memory and feeling
0: and i I, once again uh, as we talked before we started recording i'm very fond of my emotions you know it's i honor them i mean i'd much rather laugh than cry but i mean they're both valid emotions and and i do find that memory sometimes uh age or distance softens a memory but sometimes something just springs back and it's like, oh, jeepers, I hadn't thought of that in forever.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing, you, again, about accepting these emotions of joy or sadness, but I also think it's really important, uh, again, you have to balance it out. But about the past is also there can still be surprising anger or even rage yeah. about some of these things that have happened. Uh it's such a fine line to, to uh, embrace so that you don't deny anything, but you also don't let it overtake your life, um, and you see it clearly. And, I, of course, that's I, I, I love young people. I have uh, nephews and nieces, and I, they're fantastic people. But I just think I don't see how it's possible until you get to a certain age where you can really see and embrace the full picture and pattern and
0: uh, complexity and richness and layers of all this
1: experience you go through
0: <laughs> i i agree with you i think we joked as i said earlier we joked about a bunch of things before we came on you know we talked about age and stuff you know i somebody asked me earlier who uh, this fellow's turning sixty next year, and I turned sixty this year. And he said, "Well, what was it like to cross over?" And we had a great laugh about <laughs> it because you know, I. But the greatest thing about crossing over the sixty line is are the number of things that I remember and the number of things that I understand their influence on my life. But I mm-hmm. like my life today, so I don't yes. spend all my time in yesterday. Right. I do right. remember, but I just don't spend all my time there. Right.
1: All right. Well, I, I'm 69. I'll be 70 next year. Uh, that's your cue to tell me that I don't look 70. You don't look 70. <laughs> you look amazing, Thomas. Amazing. But the thing is, I mean, it was, again, without self-pity, uh, if you're turning 70, that means I probably, my chances of being dead in 20 years are excellent. So, so, yeah, I want to <laughs> live those that, yes, that sense of finite time is certainly here, and I just I want to live it and enjoy it and not be the person I was for the first twenty years. Well, yes, I, do, I never want to go back to that. So yeah, I so yes, yeah, I I am looking forward to, you know, not not all the aches and pains, which I I, did, <laughs> the old, I don't. I'm sure you haven't fallen into this trap yet, but unfortunately, men my age, one of the first thing we do. It's like oh how are you well then we just immediately go down the list you know so <laughs> i'm trying to avoid that that habit but uh except for those issues of old age i really want to enjoy the th- some degree of wisdom also uh, right this, this idea of joy and also to the thing that you can still. i think we people forget you can always learn something new you can always experience something new um yeah that's super important
0: that's just so it super important. it is and that's what keeps us young really you mm-hmm. know trying to find something new to do it it does help slow down the aging process and yes. keeps us with a bit of youthfulness to us right so right. on a timely matter you have a story about barbies i mean oh, Barbie Barbie, yes, yes, the Trump biggest accidental. movie of the year so yes. uh <laughs> So all right, I have to ask you, did you have a Barbie growing up? I desperately wanted one, but I did not have one. I did not have a Barbie, but my sisters did. And of course I played with
1: them. Uh, well, not necessarily, of course, there's a lot of gay kids who weren't into Barbies. So let's, let's oh. acknowledge that. But I, but I was not one of those. I was one of the ones that did like Barbie. And I do, I don't know if you remember this part of the story where they talk about, oh no, this isn't in the story. Um, but there was a Barbie game. Do you remember the Barbie game? Yes. Yes, yeah. the Barbie game where the prize was, you went to the prom with the most handsome guy and the best gown with the perfect car. <laughs> that, that was the top prize. That,
0: that's that's goals for my weekend, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I that's goals for my weekend every weekend.
1: <laughs> well, Barbie, especially in in my day, which was, I'm original Barbie. I'm original. Yeah. Barbie. <laughs>
0: you OG Barbie.
1: But yeah, but it was it was that the the glamour of it and uh, uh, so different from
0: other dolls <laughs> for sure of <laughs> that era. Yes. Well, yes, and Barbie didn't wet like Susie did, so there was a right. huge difference. Yes, so yes. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the metaphor in that. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm curious, uh, is part of the metaphor of this story, is it about embracing beauty, rejecting beauty, or it has nothing to do with beauty?
1: Uh, very little with beauty. Uh, more about the expressiveness uh, well, at least I, I think the expressiveness of uh, of uh, the dreams that that Barbie represented it. You know, you. glamour, wealth, beauty, uh, but also just uh, Barbie had a had a dream life. You know, she had everything mm-hmm. was a was a definite dream. And I think if you're in poverty, I think if you're A closeted gay boy, Uh, and I think if you also are a gay boy, like in this story where he loves to draw dresses for Barbie, and his mother Mm -hmm. helps him make those dresses, then yeah, Barbie's—I mean, Barbie's uh, a goddess. Barbie's, Barbie's the goal, you know, that that you that you want, and of course because of you know, has a child, almost intuitively, that this is something that you can not really share with everybody right. of your peer group, then there's also the shame, which is the other layer of the story.
0: Yes, uh, it, it is something that I find that comes up so often, you know, with whatever toy a child um, picks. Um, sometimes if you're If you're the little boy who goes down the little boy aisle at the toy store and you pick out the toy that all of society thinks that you should have, there's no shame. If you happen to be a child who wants a toy on a different aisle or maybe you don't want a toy at all, there's a wee bit of societal shame. And that is something that, you know, even some people our age still fight with because it's like, oh, I wasn't supposed to have that. And so they might deny themselves some happiness in the future because they don't want to be ashamed.
1: Right. This is funny. The things you're you're making me remember, and I don't want to go off on a big digression here, but you know, the funny thing is uh, for me anyway, there is certainly that uh, whatever sissy child that, you know, Mm -hmm. Oh yes, Barbie and you know, her clothes and all that. But I also, Loved playing with the toy guns. I, 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 you know, cowboys and Indians and the the six pistol with the caps in them. And uh, uh, James Bond was big. So there's all these kind of special gadgets. And yeah. so I, I was as much involved with that. But those were the toys and those were the games that I would play with my male friends. You right. know, I didn't. I didn't ask him to come over
0: and play Barbie with me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe doctor at a little later age, but not just yet. So I want. I do want to talk a little bit about his father, and I don't want to go too far into it, only because I'd rather the listener read the book because yes. it it talks on some really very deep emotional things. But I want to talk about touch. Uh, yes. I I want to talk about the human experience. So, you know, when we often meet friends on the street, we give them a big hug and maybe a kiss, you know, in a business situation, perhaps you shake hands. Um, I want to talk about how important is touch and how healing do you think touch is?
1: I think touch is essential. I I and we are touch starved because we- Yes. And, and I'm all for erotic touch, believe me. It's just that we have a sense of and fear of that somehow touch will become sexual or we become erotic or that that dynamic may, may be in there. Touch is sensual and we need to be mm-hmm. honest about touch is sensual, but touch isn't necessarily erotic or uh, sexual. I think for males, I think for males and especially between father and sons, um, I don't know. I think it's changed a little bit culturally uh, with this, with the current generations where I do see more physical affection, but there's still, it's not necessarily the norm. It's not necessarily this thing you see all the time or just as very, comes very natural. But I also think in my experience and i'm not sure what yours might be but i know that i i've had i've done therapy talk talk therapy there's there's some value to that actually for me though body work conscious intentional body work with trained people who know that the body holds emotions memory it physical memory both trauma and joy and Mm -hmm. knowing how to work the body and manipulate the body and and massage the body and bring that touch helps kind of release and unlock some of those holes and sometimes all of us we just need that embrace we just need that embrace and and my experience uh without going into too much detail I used to do massage and I'm not saying this as a joke, uh, although I guess you could turn it into one, but, but I think a lot of men, gay and straight, father hunger, you know, uh, that need, not to say we're daddy, but just mm-hmm. that need for affirmation by another male, especially an older male, it, it's, it's, a, it's a true thing. It's a genuine hunger, a genuine need. And yes, I very much believe in touch as has necessary and certainly has healing. It, it definitely heals.
0: Well, I from reading the story, I really believe that's where you would go with it. And I'm glad you did, because I feel the exact same way if you need validation, Thomas. I, don't think <laughs> <you>. <laughs> I always need validation.
1: <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest about this. External validation for me is better than internal validation. I know we're not supposed to say that. I take it. I take it. Okay.
0: I totally agree with you. I, I And I think, for me, I think reading this story, that was one of the things that came up for me. You know, it's at a certain point in life, I think from childhood to adulthood, there is definitely a chasm that that appears with the majority of humans on the face of this earth. With our friends, we may embrace and and be very affectionate, but especially in a time where someone has had some kind of trauma or a loss in their life, that simple act of touching, and you don't have to talk, just simply be there. That is so cathartic. And I think it's, I don't think it's easy for most humans once we get to adulthood to do that. But I think uh, we have to sort of look for it if we need it. We have to look for it because it will certainly make our lives better and it will enrich the person you ask to help you. Right.
1: I I think a couple of things. I think silent intimacy, intimacy that is not about talking and and intimacy that has touch but doesn't have like again a lot of activity it's just being held in touch i think that's a real we are not this culture does not in any way encourage silent intimacy i think the other thing too is we're talking about this the importance of touch of course for ourselves but in this story too that that touch also means something for the father in yes. the store for the adult in the story that is not just what the son needs it's also something the father needs and i think we or at least i certainly forget you know again like most of us i can get a tad self-absorbed at time with the, <laughs> you know, well you know the endlessly fascinating subject of me uh, but absolutely. Uh, but i think uh, yeah uh, especially again maybe with older people uh people in our lives that we sort of maybe take for granted or don't think about in terms of the Oh, that they may need intimacy or touch or just uh, an acknowledgement that we just, we did, we don't give it to them and we just don't think about it, but we, everybody needs to be thought about.
0: I, I agree. You know, one of the things I was discussing with a friend of mine recently is, you know, oftentimes when someone passes from this life to another life, I've heard people say over the years, oh, well, I just don't know what to say to that person. That's just it. That's the nail, you know, hitting the nail on the head with the hammer. You don't have to say anything. Most right. people simply want someone to listen to them or be there. You don't You don't have to fix the world because you're not going to be able to. You just have to be present well, where you are. Right. It's, well, and especially when you're talking about
1: when people die, yeah, I... I that's a whole other story about grief <laughs> but grief yeah uh yeah how how did again just with us just again we all have a problem myself included just shut up and be just shut up and be you know that's really it is that simple but For some reason, it seems to be a struggle that some of us have.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't want you to shut up because I have just (laughs) enjoyed this. Again, the book is called Goes On Without the World's Understanding, and it's by Thomas Westerfield. Thomas, do you have a website or social media you would like to share? Uh,
1: I have a website, thomaswesterfieldwriter.com. Uh, If I could, it has information about all 13 stories of the book. It has the links to both Amazon and the publisher's website if you'd like to buy it. Also on the website is a script of a play I wrote uh, called Monasteries. And earlier this summer, um, a friend, a director friend of mine, uh, brought a a cast of, three of the cast were New York actors, we did a Zoom reading It was a very uh, wonderful experience. I realized, I honestly realized I had written, I did not realize I had had that much talent. I I really had written a very, very good play with great things in it. Uh, So we're trying to just get people interested. I am going to write a new version, but online on my website, thomaswesterfieldwriter.com, there is a PDF of the play script of monasteries Urge anybody who wants to read it, download it, print it out, read it, spread it around to all your friends who are in theater. Uh, we, we just wanna try to see if we can bring that play back into the world. So, and for social media, I'm also sorry. Nope, nope. Nope. I was just gonna say fantastic. So, uh, social media, to be honest, uh, I hope to die without ever having been on Twitter and Facebook. However, uh, I am hypocrite enough that I have no problem exploiting my friends who are on Facebook and Twitter. So uh, anybody watching this that wants to link this uh, podcast or link my website, please do. (laughs) Please do. I'm glad to go viral. You're right. Thank
0: you. Thank
1: you.
0: Oh, I love it. Thomas, this has been so fun. Again, goes on without the world's understanding. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: I have had a great time. This was the This was fun. This was easy. And I appreciate you read the book. (laughs) You read the stories. I've had interviews where they haven't, and it certainly did not go as well as this conversation
0: did. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. I enjoyed it, and I highly recommend the book. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. You too. Hang on for me just a second. Okay. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out with Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.